Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Dave Blake, founder and CEO of Client Success. In this episode, we talked about what motivated Dave to start Client Success and how their service helps their customers drive expansion and reduce churn. He also shares what it was like being at Adobe when they made the big switch from selling compact disks to a cloud-based subscription service business. We also discussed how Adobe became an extension of their customers' team by physically working at their offices, building deep relationships. How Dave is applying his learnings to his own company, and the evolution of how customer success team scales as a company grows. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Andrew. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure. For the listeners, Dave is the CEO and founder of Client Success, the customer success platform that drives customer attention and growth across your entire company. Prior to client success, Dave served as the VP of customer success at Adobe and Omniture and started his career out as a consultant. So my first question for you, Dave, is what was so painful in your role as VP of customer success that motivated you to start client success? Great question, Andrew. Thanks. Uh, You know, there was, uh, I I started my career in the trenches of customer success, as as you mentioned, um, all the way in, in as a frontline CSM and and um, kind of climbing that ladder to be a, a VP of customer success for a global company. And we had great success despite uh, not having a, um, a solution for, for, to help us. Um, we um, built a, a lot of best practices and had a lot of great processes, but we had to cobble together insights and analytics um, and solutions across many different solutions. So whether it be Salesforce, spreadsheets, uh, a, a large operations team that was was uh, supporting us, and it was just painful to have the insights and the workflows and the analytics that we needed. And so, after ten years of a great uh, journey at Omniture and Adobe, I decided to leave and build a solution that I wish I would have had for our team. And that's how I found a client success. And so that, like like you said, we're customer success platform that helps you manage the the relationship, measure customer health, and maximize that post-sales revenue. 
Very cool. Yeah, definitely like scratching your own itch, solving your own problem. I think time and time again, this is like yeah. uh, something here over and over again of successful uh, companies that get up and running. So talk us through that a little bit more as well. So it's customer success platform. Uh, you mentioned a couple of things, but maybe you want to go into a little bit more detail uh, how your product service uh, helps customer success reps. Yeah, we're very focused on the customer success space. And so our platform is for all things post-sales. So once a, once a, a sales rep closes a deal in whatever sales CRM they have, that information comes into client success. And then the customer success team and others who are managing that post-sales journey leverages our platform to proactively um, take the customer down the journey and, and, and has all the workflows and insights and analytics that are very tailored for their needs. And so we're really excited. We've got a, a global customer base who have a lot of passion for this industry of, of driving um, expansion and reducing churn with their customers. And our platform is key to help them do that. Very cool. Um, and let's go back then as well. So like this came out of your experience, like you mentioned at Adobe and I'm mean, just before the show as well, we talked about like your time spent at Adobe was probably one of the biggest pivotal moments in Adobe's history. And um, that's something I want to touch on a little bit now and uh, dive a little bit deeper into it for businesses, maybe thinking about um, a revenue-based, like transaction-based business and switching to a subscription model. Um, Maybe you want to talk us a little bit about that point in time uh, when Adobe switched from their transactional nature to subscription and um, what it was like being at Adobe at that point in time. Yeah, to do so, maybe I'll back up a little bit even farther to kind of explain the story. So I was with a company that was called Omniture. Uh, it, it, it's a brand that is was well known, and and there, many of your audience uh, may understand or know who Omniture is. We were the leading web analytics company for many years for global brands worldwide. So, yep. Disney and Sony and uh, Microsoft and and uh, Apple and those, and uh, we had great success. We went hyper growth and IPO, and I was able to to go on that uh, journey. And then a couple of years after IPO, Adobe came along and, and bought us. And um, initially, the, the reasoning behind it was obviously our product was very uh, well known for marketers. And Adobe was purely in the marketing space and, and delivering solutions to change the game of marketing worldwide. Um, but they also loved the fact that Amateur was very, very customer focused. And it was kind of an interesting story. If, if you were to walk into the Omniture, any Omniture officer worldwide, you would look up on the walls and you would look at every nook and crack throughout the whole uh, building. And there would be plaques of customer names and logos and artifacts like Nike was one. And so you'd have some Air Jordans over here that, that celebrated our partnership with Nike and so on and so forth. However, you'd walk into the uh, Adobe buildings anywhere worldwide, and there'd be a celebration of all their patents. <laughs> and it was kind of a different mentality. Yeah. Um, and so one of the big reasons they, they acquired um, Amateur was to bring this customer first mentality. The second reason, as it came out over the years, was that they really wanted to, to make a shift from on-premise to, um, to SaaS. And they knew that that was part of it is having a culture of focus on the company. And they also wanted to um, learn the SaaS uh, business. And so we were a big part of their transformation. 
uh, uh, several years after they acquired us, the leadership team uh, lead, led by, I think, the, the best SaaS CEO uh, in the history, uh, Adobe's CEO, Shantanu Narayan, made this big bet and decided that they were going to transform their business from a um, largely a uh, on-premise or um, even uh, what do you flop? I, I, I can't, you know, uh, an on-premise product or still at the time, not floppy, not floppy disk, but disk-based uh, installations of their product to a, to a SaaS business. And uh, so they, they made it. That was an amazing part of the journey. Um, they had to go out to the, go out to the street and tell them that they're making this, this move and, and tell the, the street that they were going to take a big hit in revenue and to expect that, and they were gonna they were gonna sunset many of their products that were cash cows, and start to make this migration. And it was a big bet. It was exciting to see at the time. But it, but anybody who knows Adobe knows that 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 was a huge success. And I think at the time that I was there, the stock was at somewhere in the 30s, and now I think it's uh, four high uh, 400, uh, 400 to 500 dollars. Is, is what the stock price is. So it was an exciting opportunity to be there for that whole journey. Yeah, well, definitely it sounds as well like going through that acquisition as well. Um, being sort of part of the reason uh, being acquired was to manage that transition and to gain those expertise uh, to a SaaS-based model. Um, you mentioned as well like they needed to go out on the streets and say we were going to make these big bets, we were going to take a hit on revenue. Um, like, were you involved in any of these discussions, like how the communication would happen? Like, was any sort of pressure against it? I'm assuming yes, but sort of how did they end up coming and deciding, okay, this is the right move to make, this is the future of Adobe? You know, I think uh, I wasn't directly involved in those as a few pay grades above my, my level, but um, but I think they just looked at and, and, and were able to see uh, they're you know, definitely visionaries and see where the future of technology was going and that if they were going to uh, thrive and have a long-term future that they had to adapt. Um, and I think that's a great sign of a great leader is and a great leadership team is they, they see into the future um, and they skate where the puck is going to be as, as the saying says and and made some make some tough decisions on on where they should go as a as a as a team and they made that bet i'm sure it was very difficult i'm sure it was scary but it was a bold bet that paid off in in a big way and i think that sometimes you have to make those bold bets if you're going to to not just survive but thrive in the future in the future yeah definitely i think obviously visionary uh company adobe as well like some amazing software used by millions of people around the world. Uh, one of an interesting episode, I think actually uh, that I came across like the sort of bigger decisions where they decided they were going to go from sort of a paid product to a um, subscription service was GoDaddy themselves. Um, yeah. And GoDaddy decided to um, transition one of their site builders to a subscription service. Uh, and the interesting thing I think that they went and did uh, was just look at the S1 filings of their competitors like um, Shopify, Wix, or uh, I can't remember which companies it was at the time, but uh, and just understood sort of the, their economics, the unit economics, and it was just pretty clear to them that moving to subscription was going to be better for long-term uh, LTV uh, for their customers. And 
um, it was just an interesting thing. I think you're just looking at S1 filings to understand the potential in the markets. So pretty sure maybe Adobe could have uh, had some insights and views looking at other comparative companies uh, in the space as well to understand the opportunity. Um, yeah. So managing this transition, like what did that look like as well? Because you were going from like this mindset where people had like purchasing Adobe products meant either buying a CD, like you said, and uh, once off and you had it and you could use it and that was it. And then now all of a sudden needing to have a recurring subscription to maintain the usage of the product. And I think over time you've even deprecated or you are saying now, but Adobe's even deprecated the one-off purchase overall, and you need to have a subscription now if you want to have the latest version of Adobe. So from a customer success standpoint, that's quite a big fundamental shift in how you deal with your customers and how they pay you. So what did that transition look like for you? Yeah, I think, you know, I was on the the side with the Amateur team, which we had all, always been a SaaS. And so for us, it was, um, we were actually sharing a lot of the best practices that we had built on the amateur side with the Adobe business. Um, and the real recurring part of the business originally on the Adobe side was more support and maintenance side of the business. And so we, we actually saw that side of the business kind of slowly um, sunset. And, and then the true SaaS recurring revenue side of the business um, uh, start to ramp significantly. And, you know, I like to think that Dan and Phil, that we, we contributed in, in, in a great way in sharing uh, the philosophies, the best practices, um, the strategies there. And then that side of the business, uh, you know, took those learnings and, um, and their own strategy and, and ran with it. And we saw the success that, uh, that they've, they've had over the years. And so now uh, all of the Adobe business is a recurring revenue business which brings together that much more predictability um, and, and just stronger uh, revenue multiples and stronger growth across the business. Yeah, the predictability in SaaS is what makes it so magical, I think. Uh, having the foresight and understanding of knowing where the business is going uh, yep. is, is really amazing. Um, and then what did sort of the success team look like, maybe at Omniture and as well at Adobe, in terms of like the high touch versus low touch, like, uh, what did success typically look like? Yeah, at Amateur and Adobe, what we brought over is we uh, did like most customer success teams is we, we did a, um, a really thorough process of building out customer segments um, and then aligning teams and strategies and measures across those, those segments. So we had, a, um, we had four main segments. We had um, a, a mid-market segment um, key and strategic and partner. And, um, and I was over the strategic and key accounts um, so worldwide. And so we were, most of the companies that my team managed were a million dollars of, of revenue or above. Um, so it was, a, it was a great experience in that regard of being able to, to have that responsibility um, and that exposure to these world-class companies worldwide and, and drive that strategy throughout, throughout the business. Um, and that was really the basis is having a strong, a strong, um, strategy around customer segments and then having very specific, uh, strategies and team, um, cultures and charters around those various segments throughout the company. And these segments, how were they defined? Uh, at the time we tried to keep it fairly simple and it was really about, uh, all around spend. 
and I know there's a lot of other ways uh, that folks do it now, but for us, it was it was about spend, and so we would have different um, tiers of spend. Um, I think it was like under fifty thousand was a small one, and fifty thousand to two two hundred fifty. 250 to 500, 500 to a million and a million and above. Um, and, you know, we, we, we did a lot of testing around team structure, team strategy around those different segments, but overall we found um, the right segments for us and then we're uh, able to align the strategy and the customer journey around those segments in, uh, in a very successful way. So it, purely revenue-based is sort of how you segmented. And then I'm assuming you probably as well went and tried to understand within those segments that are generating that type of revenue, what are like the firmographics and demographics look like, uh, which yeah. probably aided a little bit in sort of like the uh, lead qualification and understanding like where to spend maybe some of the earlier resources when you have customers in the earlier stage of the journey. Yeah, we did, we did all that. So on the high end on strategic accounts, it was very high touch. In fact, in most of our strategic accounts, we we um, we had our team members in on location and badged with with uh, for with those you know badges with, for those customers. So, for example, in our our team for Microsoft, we went to a model where we put them on site in Microsoft. So we hired up in Seattle. They had a badge. They roamed the campuses and collaborated with the team all day. We had a team back in the day, AOL was a, a big business and actually uh, we had a massive contract there. And so we had a team back in Dulles, Virginia that was on site um, working full time um, uh, and, and so on and so forth. So we really tried to, on the high end, give them very high touch hands on. and become a, a part of their team. And then on the low end, it was much more, uh, as you can imagine, a low touch um, model that was a lot of nurturing, uh, leveraging a broader team of specialists and those types of things. Super interesting. So you actually had people on premise at companies helping them with uh, Adobe and Omniture products. Yeah. 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 In fact, I, I spent a year back in Dulles standing up at the, um, the AOL team. AOL at the time, this was amateur days, was the biggest um, contract ever in a web analytics, um, uh, you know, in the web analytics space. Yeah. And so with that, we we put we stood up a whole team there, and and uh, I spent a year back in Dulles, Virginia, standing up a team. But what it did oh. is it, it it developed this deep relationship that um, that we were very very aligned with their needs, their objectives. Yeah. Uh, we had, we knew them really well and, um, and we couldn't get better alignment than that. And that ended up being very successful for us. So let me just wrap my head around this as well. Were you actually in AOL's offices or you were just close by? Yeah. Uh, wow. Nope. In, in <laughs> AOL offices. We had, in fact, that in that contract, which is unique, I, I yeah. would admit, uh, oh, yeah. we, we had our own war room and uh, desks and everything in there. Um, wow. But but we did that quite often. It was whether we were located or, or uh, in their offices, we would try to have all of our strategic customer success managers have badges at their accounts, so that uh, if they were managing Apple, they could they they were had a tight enough a relationship that they would have that trust and and consider them an extension of their team, and that's a, a clear strategy for us. I wonder how many other companies uh, similar to Adobe Omniture had access like that to just like AOLs hosting like uh, a lot of different providers within the offices to help them service uh, their needs. 
Um, yeah, I think at the time they were growing fast enough, and they were, they had such a large operation worldwide that they, that yeah. was that was um, a sense. common thing for theme for them. So, wow, cool. So let's jump forward now uh, today and present, and with all the experience that you've had, like at Amateur and um, at Adobe, you started your own company now. Uh, you're building customer success uh, software called Client Success, and um, you're setting up customer success, I assume, for yourself now. What are some of the lessons that you're bringing from the past? Like, how are you going about setting up success at client success? Yeah, we're in a unique situation in that we are a customer success company um, that has our own customer success team. And so we go through all the, the same evolutions of every other company, even though, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of experience. We go through the same trial and error. We go through the same uh, evolution that anybody else. And so for us, it started with the same thing I just described. It was clearly defining some customer segments um, and um, aligning the team to those segments and then building out, um, building out the, comp- the team from there. Um, obviously, it's it's anchored around an excellent team, and excellent people who really have passion for their for um, customer success and for their customers. And with that anchor, then uh, building the building blocks to to try to deliver a great customer experience for our customers. And we're not perfect in our you know um, we would ever we wouldn't ever um, claim to be. Um, because we make our own mistakes and we, you know, learn as we go. But I think the fundamentals of of building and scaling a customer success team are are, are similar to whether you're at an early stage company or a um, or a enterprise uh, company. The fundamentals are the same, and it's about how how do you execute those fundamentals and then scale those fundamentals across the team. Yeah, I love that you mentioned sort of evolution and uh, sort of trial and error and things changing. As you scale, and I think this is also like one of those concepts as well as like people might read like this is the best practice in customer success or um, but a lot of times just bullshit because it's really important to understand what stage you're at and what makes sense for your business at that time and uh, best practices for one company might not be a best practice for yours. So I'm interested now like what would you say is like two or three of the stages that you've passed through where you could say, okay, this was the first stage of customer success or client success. This was second. And now we're at third. Like maybe is, is there sort of stages that you could break it up into to sort of uh, highlight that evolution growing the team? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a, t- a typical maturity model. And I think the first one, I, I, just that is a given is ha- having the right people, um, hiring the right people. Uh, it's different in different stages. I would say in an early stage, a startup stage, you want um, customer success um, managers, CSMs that are very nimble, that are that are okay um, being able to um, execute with uh, very little resources. Um, you know, you don't have a lot of documentation, you don't have a lot of resources, and so you have to be nimble and you have to be able to um, to build and be a builder and 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 add the foundation whereas at a, a enterprise company you're you're really just executing on a strategy so i think starting with the right people and then i think um, as we mentioned customer segmentation is key next because you as much as you'd like you can't treat every customer the same 
Uh, you can give them a similar experience, a, a great experience, but you have to do that in very different ways. And so that's the second one. And then I think it's starting the foundations. We talk about this concept of building a culture of customer success. It's how do you start that from very, er, how, uh, very early on? Um, and so that you don't have to try to break down walls and barriers in the future to be able to um, be able to have your company centered around customer success, to have a, a, the philosophy, um, to give them the support, to have to trust in their judgment and those types of things. I think that's really important for early stage companies to set the, the foundation early in that regard. Maybe I'll give you an example of yeah. one that we're doing right now. Cool. Um, so we we really want to be a, a company of uh, a, a culture of customer success, and even even though we preach that, there's some natural barriers that that um, prevent it at time. And sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's resource barriers, sometimes it's personality barriers, sometimes it's process barriers. One of the things that we're looking at right now is to say, how do we we know what the voice of the customer is. We've got all this data and insights that are coming at us from various things. Um, and so we feel like we have a pretty good heartbeat um, an understanding of what the, the, the customer uh, sentiment is. But the, the, the challenge is, is how do you, where do you prioritize? Um, what are the most important things that, that you could do today with the resources that you have that will have the biggest impact on the customer and the customer's experience over time. So one of the things that we're looking at uh, that we just discussed with our customer success team um, three days ago was um, what if we, could we create a formal internal customer advisory experience for our team, which would be basically you have the customer success team capture data and insights and perspectives of the customer and every quarter form formalize those into a presentation and give and present to the executive team. This is what we know our customers. Well, here's the data, the feedback from the customer, and here are the top three things that we should uh, go after as a company. These are the, the improvements that we need to make in our product or, and, or these are the strategies we need to um, attain, or these are the improvements we need to make in other parts of the experience as a company that will change, that will move the, um, the move the ball for this company, but make it in a way that is, it holds the rest of the business accountable for those recommendations. So the idea is maybe once a quarter, maybe once a month, the customer success team pulls this together delivered it to the executive team. And then the next quarter, they come back and the customer success team grades the rest of the business on how well they listened to and executed uh, uh, to, those, uh, to those recommendations. Um, and so uh, not only is their voice heard, but there's this greater sense of accountability that says, yeah, we're not, we're not just going to listen and put it aside. We're actually going to um, find a way and make a way and prioritize it to, um, to, to fulfill these recommendations, to execute on these recommendations. That's one way that I think uh, a company can early on establish that tradition and that process and that rhythm, that cadence, and continue on for, for years to come to make, uh, make it As real. And, yep. Yeah, because I think that's one of the big challenges for customer success, actually, is like you're on the front lines, you're always speaking to customers, you understand their needs extremely well. But then 
getting those needs translated into product requirements and to actually getting execution done on the other end is often always like an uphill battle because typically working in silos, like products doing their own research and discovery um, and uh, customer success, unfortunately, in most cases, like has the weaker of the two voices when it comes to deciding what gets built and what gets done. So I really like that you're sort of building this into the culture and um, giving the platform for customer success to really have that impact. Yeah, we're excited to see how it works out here and and hopefully share share the learnings with the broader community. Nice. Cool. So obviously you're familiar with the show, so um, uh, you, you must be familiar with this question I'm going to ask next, but let's imagine a hypothetical scenario now that you arrive, uh, you get a new job, you arrive at this company, churn and retention is not doing great. The CEO comes to you and is like, Dave, we need to make a change. We need to reduce churn now. We have 90 days to do it and uh, you're in charge. What are you going to do with your time? First thing I do, I would do is get out and speak with customers. I would understand the customer experience and the customer perspective in um, great detail. So I would uh, be on Zoom, in this climate. I would be on Zoom calls every day with as many customers as I could. In in another environment, I would prefer to get on the road and spend a significant of the, uh, portion of that time on the road. Um, and compiling that data and bringing the voice of the customer back in a, uh, to the business in a very concrete way, using data and using um, quotes, videos um, for, for that customer. So that's that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is I would create a what we what I would call a customer immersion program internally, and uh, so that the rest of the leaders could understand the customer's perspective in, in the sense that I would put them through a small immersion to put them in the shoes of our customers. So I'd have our whole leadership team listen to customer calls uh, on the support, with support, with customer success, um, so on and so forth. I would have them use our product to simulate some of the activities our customers are using. I would bring customers into our town hall meetings to speak and give honest and clear feedback. And all of this is to really gain empathy and understanding for our customers and then bring it back into the business for action. And then the third thing I would do is I would go through, typically in these situations, you always focus on those customers that are churning and you're doing deep dive on churn analysis. I would go out and find also the best customers that we have, the ones that have been with us the longest, the ones that are most happy and getting the most value and do a success analysis as well. So not only many times you can get farther along by executing on the attributes of your most successful customers um, as you can on the attributes of those customers that are churning. And, and most of the time, that's actually a better way to go. Absolutely. So those are, the, those are the three things that I would do within that 90 days to have impact um, and change. Start talking to customers, empathize with them, and then really trying to analyze sort of not only who's churning, but what is making customers successful and doubling down on that. And I think definitely from that perspective, that lens, like this is definitely a natural place where people say, oh, we've got a churn problem and they immediately go say, okay, what are the reasons for churn? Um, but really flipping that lens and saying, okay, what makes people successful with our products um, and how can we amplify the success of our customers is often a much, much bigger opportunity. One, because 
very difficult to convince somebody who's actively already made a decision to churn. And often those signals happen much earlier on than the actual event itself. And two, because if you're able to improve activation rates, if you're able to improve the value that customers are getting out of the product, it has a compounding effect over time as well. So you're able to keep more of your customer base for longer and ultimately drive growth for the business. So I think it's a fantastic point. Um, Dave, what's one thing that you know today about channel retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? In a SaaS business, just the significant... This seems like an obvious statement, I'm going to say, but in a SaaS business, the significant of, of product in, in uh, retention. At the end of the day, a SaaS business is a product business. And um, so I believe that the, the um, crucial part of retention is around the product experience and the product delivering value on its own. And so a lot of people talk a lot about, um, do you have product market fit? And that's a great concept. I love that. But it's really focused on, can you sell the product? I, my concept that I think that the SaaS companies need to focus more on is, do you have product retention fit? Um, because a lot of the attributes to retain a customer may be very different than, than the attributes of a product to sell a customer. And so um, that's, that's critical for me. And how do you close that gap between uh, the product team and the customer success team? so that you're delivering a product that drives value on its own. And so really at the end of the day, the customer success team is really driving, um, is, is driving expansion through their efforts rather than um, trying to save customers left and right throughout the, throughout the experience. Yeah. I like that product retention fits. I think for me as well, like the way I view SaaS and uh, subscription business is really like your company is the product like, uh, and more and more nowadays, like we create these silos, like with customer success and uh, marketing and, but ultimately like every team within your company is responsible for a part of your product. And uh, the, yeah. the marketing is the packaging of that product. The success is the support and like activation and enablement to that product. Like, and then the software behind it obviously is what I use and abusing, but each part of this company is a part of the product. And this is sort of like the way I'm thinking about going into the next business, trying to structure things a little bit more from the mindset that we are the product and we need to treat sort of every phase of the product. So we have this cohesive experience from beginning to end. But I, I like the point that you made as well of sort of like that product retention fits being a lot more important, uh, really focusing on that retention side as opposed to can we sell the product? Is the market willing to pay for this? But is the market willing to stick around with this? Cool, Dave. Um, so, I mean, it's been a pleasure chatting to you today. Is there any sort of final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with that they, I mean, how can they keep up to speed with your work? Anything exciting you'd like to share with them before we drop off today? No, it's been great conversation. And uh, I, as a customer success professional at the core, just excited about the um, how customer success continues to elevate in companies and overall in the SaaS industry. Um, and excited about the great thought leaders like yourself and others out there who are contributing in a significant way um, in that regard. So just huge kudos to all of those who are on the front lines um, on the customer success space and for those CEOs out there who really get it and continue to invest there. Uh, it's a critical element to your success, so continue to do that. And if there's anything I can ever do, I'm always here at davidclientsuccess.com uh, or clientsuccess.com uh, in general for great content or insights to help on this journey. 
Awesome. Uh, thanks so much. Yeah, and no, I definitely echo that. I think like customer success really is at its infancy at this point in time. Uh, it's it's a really a green field. And uh, like you say, there's a lot of people like I, like yourself as well and uh, client success really trying to pave the f- way forward and uh, improve things because uh, it can only enable um, you to have greater success with your product overall. So Dave, it's been a pleasure chatting to you today. Thank you so much for joining the show and uh, wish you best of luck now going forward uh, on your journey. Thanks, Andrew. Great to be with you. Cheers. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.